0: Are we dodging the Great Commission that Jesus Christ gave us in the Bible? Now, what is the Great Commission? What what are we talking about here? Well, it's Matthew 28 and verse 18. Jesus said, And he came and spake unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world. That's the Great Commission, and that's what the church was built upon, is this Great Commission to go into all the world. And on the day of Pentecost, they were given the power to do this. Now, my question is this. As you look across the landscape of America, of the 450,000 churches that are in America 650,000 preachers in America, are we doing the Great Commission? Now, now, think about church for a moment. Think about what people do at church. I mean, first of all, church has become a, a place where you go to basically express yourself. You know, I mean, self-expression. And, you know, I can sing, I can dance, I can, I can uh, lead a Bible study, I can do this, I can do that. And it's about a 45-minute worship service. And you go there, and you have your maybe some prayer and some uh, special music, and you sing a little bit, and then you listen to a little pick-me-up pep rally message that sort of makes you feel good about yourself, and lasts maybe six days, and then you go back and do it all over again. Okay, I've just described what people are doing at church. Okay? Now, hear me. None of that, what I just described, has nothing to do with the great commission. None of it. All the church going that we're doing, all the singing and the praying and the the sermons and the Bible study, none of that has anything to do with the great commission. So I'm asking the question, are we dodging the great commission? Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. The truth of the matter is the Great Commission is what you do the other six days a week. It's really not what you do at church. I understand that. You, you, know, you, you go to church for a break from the work a day week, the six work day week. But the Great Commission is something we are to be actively involved in the other six days a week, the six work days a week. We are to be replicating ourselves. I mean, think about it. The New Testament church was quite different than what we see today. First of all, they met in homes, the New Testament church did. And. You know, I mean, it was like maybe a little small group and it began to develop into maybe four or five and then six and seven and eight and then maybe up to 12. And what you would do is you would teach, you know, maybe half of those 12s, how, how to go, six of them, how to go out and replicate themselves, how to go out and do the same thing. This is, this. it was about the Great Commission. And so when you come back to church on the Sabbath day, what you talk about is what you have accomplished during the last six days of the Great Commission, of doing the work of God. Now, I don't know how people overlook this. I really do not know how people overlook this. I mean, first of all, they had been given the Great Commission, the the disciples. Go ye therefore into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that Christ has taught us. And then the day of Pentecost comes, and it says in Acts 1 and verse 8, it says, but you shall receive power... After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in both Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Can you have the Holy Spirit of God and not be involved in the Great Commission? Now, when you understand the very purpose for receiving the Spirit of God, it's, it's all about the Great Commission. In other words, they had been given the Great Commission to go into all the world, and they're, and they're sort of sitting around thinking, the disciples are sitting around thinking, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to communicate? How are we going to preach this when people can't understand our dialect? And then the day of Pentecost comes, and they're, they're you know this tongues of fire, which really the gifts of tongues is the gift of dialect. It's the gift of languages. And all of a sudden, the meaning behind the gift is understood. Why did God give the gifts of tongues? It was to communicate the gospel, to spread the gospel, to go ye therefore into all the world and to make disciples. So when I ask the question, can you have the Spirit of God and not be involved in the Great Commission? The answer is no. The answer is the very reason for the Spirit of God is to spread the gospel, is to fulfill the Great Commission. So you you can't just really walk around and think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm holy. I have the Spirit of God, and, and my life is you know, it's all wonderful, it's great, and be inactive in the Great Commission. Be doing absolutely just playing church, just playing church. Caught up in your own little world, caught up in your own life, caught up in your own work, caught up in in, in whatever you turns you on. You cannot have the Spirit of God and not be involved in the Great Commission. The two go together. The one is given for the purpose of the other. You have the great commission to go ye therefore into all the world, and then you're given the Spirit of God to fulfill that commission. My question is this. Are we dodging the great commission? Now, I want to look at some people in the Bible that God used, and yet they died without honor. And you see, our goal in life is when God gives you something to do, The only way you can come to the end of your life and have honor is if you do what God has told you to do. If you have fulfilled what God has told you to do. Now, the first example is the children of Israel, where God says, look, I swore in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. And if you study this in Numbers 14 the problem with the children of Israel is is that they, they were always murmuring. They were always complaining. They were always bellyaching about, you know, just thing their the, the relationship with God. They were always complaining, 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 and complaining. Now, what I get from this is this. If you're going to serve God, if God gives you something to do, you better do it with a good attitude. You better do it with a good attitude, because if you don't serve God with a good attitude. When he tells you to do something like, go ye therefore into all the world, if you don't do it with a good attitude, you're going to die without honor. Another example is that of Moses. In Numbers 20 and verse 10, it says, And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of these rocks, out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, and says, Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given to them. Now, you know, it says that Moses didn't sanctify God. You know, maybe the emphasis was on Moses, you know, with any type of leader, when a leader comes along, a leader or the head of an organization, often people start to look to the leader and they worship the leader and God gets less and less and less credit. Now, maybe this is what, what, what was going on. But what I get from this is, is, you know, Moses did a lot for God. I don't know if there's a, another man in the flesh that, that, that did more for God than Moses, I mean, he did a lot for God. And what I get from this is you can do a lot for God and still die without honor. Moses didn't get to go over into the promised land. He died without honor. And it's shocking to, to realize this. Now, another example of a person who died without honor is, is that of Saul. In 1 Samuel 13, and verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly that you have not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God which he had commanded thee for now would you have would the lord have established thy kingdom upon israel forever now we know the story here what what saul did is he usurped the authority of the priest he took on he took upon him a role uh, the priestly role that that was not even delegated out to him and the bottom line is he couldn't follow orders he he, he didn't do as he was told the most simplistic orders he couldn't follow them now what's interesting about this little story is that Saul was God's first choice because this verse says now now Saul if you would have obeyed the Lord would have established his kingdom upon Israel forever you know we would have been reading about the mercies of of of, of the sure mercies of Saul instead of David it's just interesting that here here was a man who just you know couldn't follow orders and, and here's the thing to understand god is not limited when god decides to do something like the great commission he'll do it with or without us but he will get the job done if we don't do as we are told and what i want you to consider is that none of these things stopped god the children of israel Well, he just called up a different generation of people. He called up the younger generation to go in to the promised land. Uh, Saul, God just chose another king, King David. None of these things stopped God. Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. And so Joshua went into the promised land. And, you know, it's just amazing because nothing gets in God's way. God will accomplish his will with or without us. So the question I'm asking today is, Do we are we able to follow orders? Okay, what order? The Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you, always, even into the end of the world. You see, the, the Great Commission is a duty that has been placed upon us. And often with duty, you know, there are things that we would rather do. I mean, there are things that, that, you know, I got my life, I got my job, I got all these things that I'm doing in my life, I got my paid vacation coming up. and And it really is, the Great Commission is something that has been laid upon all of us. If you claim the name of Christ, the Great Commission, the responsibility of the Great Commission has been laid upon your shoulders. And when I ask, you know, how are we doing with this Great Commission? Let me tell you, we are doing a terrible bang-up job on this. We're not involved in it. We're not involved. Most people are not involved in the Great Commission. Now, part of the problem is, in my tradition the church that i came out of there was a false teaching and the teaching went like this all the people have to do is just pray and pay send in their tithe money and pray for the work and the work consisted of a few men and women who were doing the work of evangelism of outreach it was the organization's job to do the great commission the people The peons really didn't have a job other than to pray and pay. And what I'm saying is this goes against the very Word of God because each individual individually receives the Spirit of God and that Spirit of God, when you connect the Spirit of God up to the the meaning of the Day of Pentecost, you realize that Spirit was given for the purpose of the Great Commission. And you cannot really have the Spirit of God and not be involved in the Great Commission. So this was the tradition that I came out of where the people were just sort of brainwashed over a period of 40 or 50 years, and they became fat and lazy. And the people became uninvolved in the Great Commission. They had no part other than to pray for the work and to send in their tithe money. And I'm saying this is a stench in the nostrils of God. He is, I believe I believe we are limited in time to pull up our pants, get our act together, and start doing a work for God. Now if I were to ask the question, how many of you have a ministry? Well, you know, I I mean I know people I know of people in our church who have a ministry and they're involved in a work, and that's great. But basically, people who can raise their hand and say, "Yes, I have a ministry," are, are now I have a ministry. It's called "Is that really in the Bible?" It's what I do, and uh, it's 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 an evangelistic work that I do. But for the most part, you know, when you go into a church environment and ask how many of you have a ministry, very few hands are going to go up. You have the kingpins, you have the leaders who can raise their hands, but the congregation for the most part, are not going to be able to raise their hands because they're just, they're just there taking up like seat space and uh, they're, 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 they may be tithing and praying and all that, but but that's about it. Now, my goal with this message is this, that when I come back six months or a year later and ask that same question, how many of you have a ministry? The goal is for every hand in the church to go up. yes. I have a ministry and that ministry is about the Great Commission to somehow fulfill your part in the Great Commission. I want you to figure out what your ministry is. You know, its I can't really tell you what your job is, uh, what your part is. its um, I think each person is different. I think this is something of personal responsibility where you have to go to God and ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? How can I have a part in the Great Commission? And God is unlimited. I mean, you know, a lot of times we think, well, I can't do what someone else is doing. God is not calling you to do what someone else is doing. God wants you to uniquely do your part, and it is a part that only you can do. So I I just think that, that if you have the Spirit of God, god has placed upon you that desire i know it was it was profoundly so with me that when i came into the church and uh, was baptized i couldn't get away with this i mean I, I i just knew there was something i had to do i i had a part in the great commission and i think when god gives you his spirit he places that upon the heart of man, of mankind Now, you can squelch that, you can shut that out of your life, you can you know, get into a mode of where you're just busying yourself to death in the routine of life, and you don't hear that conviction anymore, that God wants you to be involved in a work. But I want you to figure out what your ministry is, so that when I come back six months from now, you can say, yes, I have figured out my part in the Great Commission. Now, this is going to be a series of messages that I hope will help you discover what your part is. You see, unintentional efforts never accomplishes anything. If you're just going through your life and you say, you know, yeah, I realize I need to be involved in something, but unintentionally, you'll never do anything. You see, intentional efforts is something when you become intentional in your efforts, In the Great Commission, and fulfilling the Great Commission, I'm talking about something that you commit to every day. Now, if it's only one hour a day, if all you can commit to is one hour a day, that's a starting point. I won't say it's enough, but it is a starting point. That for one hour a day, I do something that is about the Great Commission and fulfilling the Great Commission of, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples, I'm going to do something, and uh, I want you to figure out what that something is. Now, just recently, I had a man visit our church, and he'd been in the churches of God for 40 years, and, and he, he told me something. He said, David, I want to tell you something, and he said, I, I'm sort of reluctant to tell you this because I don't want it to go to your head, and I don't want your ego to, to you know to get the best of you, but he said, you are doing more on a regular basis, as far as evangelistic work of putting something out there every day, you are doing more than some of these big organizations are doing. Some of these bigger churches are doing that have a paid ministry on salary or whatever. He said, you're doing more than than some of them are doing. And I guess I should have been very encouraged by by that. But what I realize about myself is I'm basically a one-man show. I mean, my wife helps me in editing and things like that, but for the most part, I've got a full-time job, I squeeze in, and I don't know how I do it, actually, I squeeze in 15, 20 hours a day, a week, excuse me, a week, into the work of evangelism, and, and is that really in the Bible, I manage to squeeze in an additional 15 to 20 hours a week, and most of that is done probably on Sunday and maybe Saturday and early in the morning, a few hours. But yeah, um, but but for someone to come along and say, look, you, a one-man show, are, you're doing more than some of these big churches, these bigger organizations, it's really a put-down toward those big organizations. But I understand why. I understand clearly why that is so. It's so because these churches, big organizations, have been taught, they tell their lay people, just pray for the work, send in your tithe money, and that's it. We'll take care of the rest. They've been brainwashed into believing that. And basically, you know, the lay people, you can live your life for yourself, do whatever you want to do, but as long as you're sending in in your tithe money and praying, and we'll do the work of evangelism. That is a false teaching, it's a false concept, it's a false idea because every individual in the Church of God receives the spirit of God and you receive that spirit for a purpose. It is for the purpose of evangelist, it is for the purpose of fulfilling the great commission and everybody has their part. I also asked this guy who'd been in the church for 40 years, "What do you see the church churches of God 20 years from now. You know what he said? It's a four-letter word. D-E-A-D. Dead. Where do you see the churches of God 40 years from now? Dead. You know, we need to understand some things. And I'm going to give you what we need to understand. Before I do, uh, I, I wanna, I'm going to tell you about a word. It's, it, the word is Expendable expendable. The word means to, dis- to distribute or consume in payment or expenditures. To distribute or consume in payment or expenditure. In other words, God has that right. God has a right to use you up. You are expendable. Now, why would God have the right to use us up? Well, we just read it at the Passover. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What I'm saying is we have been bought and paid for. We've been brought and paid for. Paid for it with a price. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20 says, "For You are brought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God owns you. God has the right. You are expendable. God has the right to use you up. You see, to be expendable is to understand God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life begins by you understanding that you are expendable. You know, the word also means capable of being sacrificed in order to accomplish a military objective. You know, God has something that he's doing. He has a plan. He has a goal. He has a purpose for us and and, and a job for us to do that involves the great, the fulfillment of the great commission. And that has been delegated out to his disciples. You will never understand what God has for you until... Until you understand that you are expendable and that God owns you and you've been bought and paid for and God can use you and he, God can use you up if necessary. And I'm telling you some of the most disruptive ministries out there are those ministries that come along and say, God just wants you God just wants to bless us. And he wants us to have that four-car garage. He wants us to have that Mercedes-Benz, that boat, that Hawaiian vacation. He just wants to bless, 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 bless. And that's the only purpose that God has. And I'm saying they're wrong. They're dead wrong. You are expendable. You've been bought and paid for with a price. And God has a mission for us, all of us. God has given us his spirit for a purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, I want to review this as some of these examples I went through. Moses did a lot for God, but he failed to sanctify God. You know, maybe he didn't give God the credit. Maybe, Maybe it became a man's work. Maybe it became the work of an organization. And God became less and less and less of the focus. The children of Israel was given a task. And yet in that task... All they could do is bellyache and complain to God and murmur and always complaining. And God says, I swore my wrath. They're not going to enter into my rest. And then Saul, we have the example of Saul who could not follow the most simplistic orders such as, let's say, Go ye therefore into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Yeah, are we able to follow orders? And you see, all these people died without honor. They were expendable. And not only were they expendable, they died without honor. Now I want you to understand something. God will fulfill the Great Commission with or without us yeah i mean he's going to do it i'd like to have a part in it i think it'd be nice if if some of us had a part if all of us had a part in that great commission i think that, that would be wonderful but he's going to do it with or without us you know in exodus 14 and verse 15 and the lord they were at the red sea and pharaoh's army was gaining ground and the Lord said unto Moses, wherefore cry thou unto me, speak to the children of Israel, that they, move, that they go forward. And I think, what would have happened to these people if they'd just sit there and let Pharaoh consume them? Well, they would have died. They would have been, they were expendable and they would have died without honor. That's what, it, that's exactly what would have happened if they didn't move forward. So quit sitting on your hands, pull up your pants. We are expendable, bought and paid for with a price. And, you know, none of us want to go to the grave without honor. We don't want to die in a state of dishonor where God says, you know, I, I, I gave them my great commission, and I, I don't know what these people did, but they, they, they did not fulfill this great commission. They did not take part in it. My question is this, are we guilty of dodging the great commission? Continue to listen to this series on this subject. I hope to give you some information that will be helpful about how to identify your gift and to give you some ideas on what you can be doing, what you should be doing, and hopefully to give you the motivation instead of just coming up with excuses. I hope to give you some motivation that will help you start making some decisions in the right area and to start walking down this path of fulfilling the great commission so the next time i'm going to be talking about evangelism what you cannot do and really this title comes out of my own story that i want to share with you it was really my own personal evangelism of is that really in the bible came from the mindset of lord i can't do this What I cannot do, and I'm going to share with you things that that I I, you know, here's the thing, there are things that you cannot do. What's wonderful about God is 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 a word called compensation compensation, that when one area is is lacking, you can overachieve in another area to make up for that void, and God accepts our, com- our our compensation. So that was the story in my life that I want to share with you about how the idea of is that really in the Bible was created because I just looked at myself and I, I realized personal evangelism, I was terrible at it. No good whatsoever. And I I basically told God, God, I can't do this. I'm no good at this. And what I found out was that's no excuse. There are other things that you can do. God allows us to, comp- to compensate when one area is lacking. Oh yeah, you have many areas that are lacking, but there's something you can do and there's some, and you can overachieve in another area to make up for that void. Everybody can do something and I'm basically a living example of that. But I'll, I'll tell you my story next time. I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? Twenty seven Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, two four one five one. Or visit us on the web at Is That Really in the For more information, check us out online at Is That Really in the Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is is That Really in the Bible, dot net.